Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. The Gospel of John was written to prove that Jesus is indeed the Messiah and that those who believe in Him will have eternal life. Now let's join Pastor Brent for our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. But a life controlled by the Holy Spirit has order and purpose and is filled with blessing. Now this order becomes more and more evident the more time that you spend in Christ. And in a very practical application, our lives are a constant surrendering of control over to Jesus, dying to ourselves so that his spirit can lead. Now, the wonderful promise is that even though we continue to live in bodies and live, live in these earthly bodies and live with a nature that is opposed to God, one day, one day soon and very soon, our perishable bodies will put on an imperishable nature. And like Jesus, we will have perfect, indestructible bodies without a flesh nature. I think you know what I'm about to do, right? I want you to do this at home with me. Hallelujah. So Paul sums up this first point very well in the next two verses. And says, let me put it this way. Verse 12 and 13. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So we have an obligation, Paul says. Not not to following our flesh, but to destroying it. It's the idea of owing a debt to somebody. God gives us life through the Spirit, so we are in debt to Him. He owns us. And this is a spiritual reality that we need to make an outward reality in our own lives. We are no longer indebted to the sinful nature. In fact, we're at war with it. So Paul says, when we follow our sinful nature... It leads us to death. But when we follow our new spirit-filled nature, it leads us to life everlasting, which leads us perfectly into the next point. Point number two, a new nature. Now we're going to see that closeness to God means losing control but gaining a new nature. And Paul's going to continue to talk about this new nature a little bit. Uh, Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you who have not received a spirit, no, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, We are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. There is so much here, but the main point is this. The fleshly nature leads to death and fear. Fear of punishment and condemnation. But when we come to Christ, we don't get condemned as we talked about in point number one. We are welcomed into a special relationship. In verse, verse 15, we see uh, Abba Father, 
And that might sound familiar, but did you know that Abba was the cry of a child to its daddy? And that's now the type of relationship that we have with God. The text says that now we call him daddy. Not only that, but we are now heirs of God's riches. And boy, does he have riches. Not the kind that you spend in the store or blow on toilet paper, but the kind that you live off of for the rest of eternity. That's actually my retirement plan. (laughs) We don't just have a personal relationship with God, but now we have a special closeness to God. Actually, I love that verse 10, verse 16 says that his spirit is joined with our spirit to affirm that we are his children. People ask all the time, how do I know if I'm saved? Well, do you have his spirit inside of you? Are you striving to live in the new nature that his spirit gives us? Also, look at the end of verse 17, where it says that, Sharing in Christ's suffering is a part of this process of becoming a child of God. But look what Paul has to say about it. Verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, We must wait patiently and confidently. So having this new relationship and this new nature means that we will be changed. Now, right now, creation itself has been waiting since the fall for the day when we receive our new bodies. And it hasn't happened yet, but like I said, it's coming, and it's going to happen soon and very soon. And in the meantime, the text says, wait patiently and eagerly. You know, there was that thunderstorm that happened yesterday, and I just think of this verse, all creation was groaning. And me too, I was groaning. I'm like, come Lord Jesus, let's go, let's do this, I'm ready. I don't know about you, but I am ready for my new body. (laughs) I've actually, I've been on this low-carb diet for a while, and then I read this text and think, well, if I'm getting a new body, then... Maybe I don't need to be dieting. I am ready for Jesus to return and join us with himself in heaven. And actually, it's something that I look forward to every day. And that's part of our hope that we have as Christians, just as verse 24 says. And it really is an eager type of hope. 
I talk about this all the time with my life group on Wednesday nights about how we are anxiously awaiting the return of Jesus. I mean, we really can't help but look around at the world today and see everything that's happening and feel in our inner being that the time is coming soon and Jesus is just right at the door. So maybe every once in a while we even joke about uh, (laughs) practicing our rapture pose. And my personal favorite is the Superman. Now, I know that the Bible says that no one knows the hour except for the Father, but how funny would it be if, if one of these days I'm just anxiously awaiting the return of Jesus like I was yesterday during that thunderstorm, and I practice a, a quick rapture pose, and all of a sudden, boom, raptured in heaven, standing there with my hands in the air. <laughs> it would be pretty funny. But that's the type of confidence that these verses are talking about having. And in the last part of verse 25, it says, not to just wait eagerly and confidently, but it also says, wait patiently. And Paul says, how? When we are constantly in this battle between flesh and spirit. Well, let's read on to find out. Verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example... We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So as we wait, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Don't you just love that? God's Spirit searches your heart and then prays to the Father to bring about specific things in our lives that will bring us into accordance with God's will. Maybe you need a prayer partner while you're stuck at home. Well, you've got one. You've got the perfect prayer partner that not only knows God's will, but prays on our behalf in harmony with God's will. It's amazing. Now, most of us know that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us when we, when we make a decision to follow Christ. But how often do we stop to think about the fact that the Holy Spirit is praying to the Father on our behalf? He's, he's not just sitting in there doing nothing. So next comes one of the most important concepts in this book in verse 28. And it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now, there's a lot of theology in these few verses. And many books have been written on predestination and foreknowledge. And really, it's the main argument between Calvinism and Arminianism. 
Calvinists believe that God chose who he was going to save, and we had little to do with it. Armenians believe that we chose God, and God had little to do with it. And my position is not important. (laughs) You see, this isn't an essential doctrine. And if you've come to Desert Heights for any amount of time, uh, you've probably heard me and Brent both say that here at Desert Heights, we have the essentials and the non-essentials. And in the essentials, we have unity. And in the non-essentials, we have liberty. So basically, when it comes to predestination, you are free to believe what you want, and we're not going to argue with you about it. But we do encourage you to read scripture for yourself and figure out what you believe. Now, we don't have time to dive into this today. Well, maybe we do. I mean, you're comfortable on your couch, so why not, right? We could have a two-hour message. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But if you really, if you want to talk more about this, feel free to email me at brent at desertheightschurch.com. Brent, you're welcome. Actually, everybody should. I mean, you're just sitting on your computer anyways. Go email Brent. What are your thoughts on predestination? I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, there are strong arguments to be made on both sides of the fence. Um, and it's, it has been and will continue to be one of the most debated topics in Christianity until Jesus comes back. Which is going to be so soon anyways that it's really not even worth fighting over. So you know what? Cancel those emails. Don't email Brent. Let's just practice our, rap, practice our rapture poses and get ready for the return of Jesus. Okay, let's get back to the text. Refocus here. What I want to take a second to focus on is in verse 28, and uh, it says, and in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Do you really believe this? A more literal way to translate this would be, To them that love God, all things work together for good according to his purpose. Now, it all starts with that relationship. This promise does not extend to those outside of that relationship, just like 2 Peter 3.9 says. It says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Once that repentance happens, All things work together for good. So the word work together here in the text is a good one. And it's actually where the word, where we get the word synergy from. And synergy is just where more than one thing works together well. It's where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Example, in your life, an isolated event might seem bad, like getting into a car wreck. But because that wreck, you were brought to the hospital where you were able to share Christ with a man who was dying, and now he's going to heaven. It worked together for good. And the word good actually means benefit. It's not good like virtue. God isn't saying, well, you're going to suffer, but it's a good thing to suffer. No pain, no gain. No, that's not what he's saying. There is an actual benefit that God works through circumstances. And yes, there will be suffering. But know that part of this relationship you have means that in the end, God will work even the bad to your benefit. 
Now, a lot of times something bad happens and we have no idea why it happened or what God is doing with the situation until years later when we're able to look back and see how God used it. A lot of you know that uh, my brother passed away recently and it's been an incredibly difficult trial to go through. But at his funeral, I was able to lead some worship songs and pray for his unsaved friends that came to the service. And I know that God is going to work all of this together for glory. And even though I can't see how he's doing that now, I hope that one day I'll be able to look back and see how God worked it all out for his glory. But the fact of the matter is that may not be the case. There are certain times when things happen that we will never understand until we get to heaven. And in the meantime, we just have to trust God and his word when he says that he is working it all together for good. And by the way, um, I just wanted to take a second and just say thank you to all of the church family and everyone who has uh, supported us and prayed for us through this difficult time. I know that my parents feel very loved and supported as well, and uh, they're all the way in California. And so now we just need to convince them to move here to New Mexico so they can be with their real church family. If anyone from the Baptist church is watching this, I mean no offense, but I, my parents belong here. <laughs> Actually, you know what? If you're watching this right now, tag Sue Roscoe in the chat below and tell her to get out of California and move to New Mexico. Thank you. All right, let's finish up now with our final point for the morning. Uh, point number three, inseparable love. And we're going to continue with verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Wow. So not only do we have the Holy Spirit praying to the Father on our behalf, but then we see in these verses that God is on our side. And Paul is preaching the gospel to these Romans right now. And he tells them that God is on our side because he used Jesus to make a way for us to be in right standing with him. And if that wasn't enough, we see this amazing picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father praying for us. Do you feel special? 
Do you feel loved? Because you should. Not only the Holy Spirit, but Jesus as well are praying for us. God is on our side. We have nothing to fear. No enemy, not losing our job, no virus, no sickness, hardship, or even death. What a wonderful picture that Paul is building. Accepted into a new family, all things work together for good, and God, who was once our enemy, is now on our side. But wait, there's more, and it gets even better. Verse 37. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now, other translations say that we are more than conquerors. We destroy our foes. The enemy has nothing on us. We are valiant warriors. And not on our own, but through him who loved us. Sin no longer has power. Trials no longer hold terror. Life is no longer something to be dreaded because we are more than conquerors. Now, it doesn't mean that we are free from suffering because there will be suffering. Some of you are suffering today. But the encouraging thing here is that we are always connected to the one who works it out for our benefit, no matter what. And if that weren't enough, Paul puts the cherry on top of this wonderful chapter of uh, promises with this, verse 38 and 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what more could we ask for? Nothing can separate us from God's love. And Paul, he lists four areas here in the text, and he says, death nor life, meaning that nothing in our human existence can separate us from God's love. Then he says, angels or demons, meaning nothing in the spiritual realm can separate us from God's love. Some people are a little freaked out by the spiritual realm, and they feel like they need to do their part to battle it. But that's just not true. That can't separate us from God's love. It says right here in the text. Then he says, the present or the future in height nor depth, perhaps suggesting that you can't go anywhere where God's love can't go with you. And what a great confidence we have then. Because there is no one, nothing, no event, and at no time can you be torn from God's love in Jesus. There's no reason to fear. 
No reason to say, well, God can't love me anymore after what I've done. Yes, he can. And he does. Far from separating from you, he wants to forgive you and cleanse you. God doesn't do this whole six feet apart social distancing thing. No. His word says that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And that when we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. So I want to encourage you this morning as you're stuck at home and feeling the weight of everything that's happening in the world, to draw near to him and seek him with your whole heart, knowing that he works everything together for good. If you need love today, God has an abundant supply and he pours it out freely on those who seek after him. So seek his face and set your mind on things above and join the Holy Spirit in prayer to the Father before you continue on with your day. And if you're with your family, you know, as I I'm getting ready to close, and we're going to close in prayer here in a second. I just want to encourage you that if you're watching this with your family, or even if you're just watching it by yourself, just spend some time joining the Holy Spirit in prayer to the Father. It really is powerful. Now, before we close, I just want to quickly recap the high points of this chapter um, and just look at the points that we covered. First, we looked at point number one, no condemnation. We saw that Living in Christ means freedom from condemnation, but war against sin. In Christ, we are not condemned because we have been set free. Point number two, we looked at our new nature. We have this special closeness, this special relationship with Abba Father, which means that we will be changed and one day share in his glory forever with him in heaven in our rocking new bodies. In the meantime, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And then finally, we looked at point number three, inseparable love. We saw that God is on our side so that we can be more than conquerors in him, knowing that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And this is such an encouraging chapter for those who have put their faith in Jesus, but maybe you're hearing this message today and maybe you just tuned in. Maybe you heard me go through this list of uh, blessings and promises for those that live in Christ, and maybe you're panicking just a little bit because you aren't sure if those things apply to you because you have never made a commitment to follow Jesus. Well, I want to encourage you today that no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, God can forgive you. He wants to forgive you. And you have an opportunity to commit your life to him right now. And all you have to do is right where you're sitting in the quietness of your own heart, pray to God and just say, Lord, I need you. I've tried to do this life on my own and I just can't do it. I need freedom from condemnation. I need a new nature. I need your Holy Spirit. I want to know you and be close to you. I want you on my side. Lord, I, I crave and I desire your inseparable love. So I surrender my life to you right now. 
admitting that I am a sinner and asking you to wash me clean and give me new life. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everybody watching this morning. I thank you for our church body. I pray that you would just be with them, be near to them, bless them during this time, help their faith to grow. God, in their hearts, grow a hunger and a desire to draw near to you, Lord. I know that it can be difficult to not meet together as a church body here in this building, Lord, but this building is not the church, but we are the church, those who have committed their life to serving you and living for you. Lord, I lift up those that just possibly have made that decision and have just committed their life. Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would draw near to them, that you would pour out your love on them, that they would be overwhelmed by your greatness, that that we would all live in the fact that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Lord, give us strength and unify us through this time. Help us to trust you and know that you're coming back soon and very soon. And so we join with your Holy Spirit in prayer, just eagerly and anxiously awaiting your return. And we just say, come, Lord Jesus, let your will be done. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We ask that uh, you would glorify yourself and that you would be glorified in everything that we do. In your name we pray. You have been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on Main Street in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at Desert Heights Church.